Hi, this is John Olson. Thank you for joining us on the National Security This Week podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you'll receive a new edition of the podcast every week. Please leave us a review as well and tell others about us. And please contact us with any feedback or opinions you might have by emailing nstw at kymnradio.net. We hope you find the show informative and interesting. Thanks again. National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and you've joined us for National Security This Week. We get together here every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security, and we're joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore American national security. Our longtime listeners know that I've promised to do a number of shows this year on the U.S. Space Force, uh, the newest military service. We've had a couple of shows earlier in the year focused mostly on space policy, a little bit about space systems, uh, and and the importance of space for American national security interests. Uh, Today, however, we're going to take a deep dive uh, into military space systems. And our guest is Colonel Joseph Roth, U.S. Space Force from Space Systems Command. Uh, Colonel Joseph Roth serves as Director, Innovation and Prototyping of the Acquisition Delta. He's also Commander, Space Systems Command, Detachment 1 at Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. Colonel Roth leads a combined team of over 650 military, government civilians, and contractors at four geographically separated units to rapidly transition and deliver war-winning space concepts, technologies, and capabilities to the United States Space Force and mission partners across the national security space community. The acquisition delta under Colonel Roth uh, conducts tests and experimentation, prototyping, demonstrations, and operations of innovative space systems and technology for the Space Systems Command. Uh, The acquisition delta also executes the space test program on behalf of the Department of Defense, to provide space flight, space flight opportunities for the entire DoD space science and technology community. Colonel Roth has served in a variety of operations, acquisition, staff, and command assignments at many levels across the Air Force and the Department of Defense. Prior to his current assignment, Colonel Roth was the Chief of Space Electro-Optics Division in the Directed Energy Directorate, I might have to ask about that, at Air Force Research Laboratory at Kirtland Air Force Base in New, in New Mexico. Uh, Colonel Roth is a 1997 graduate of the University of Cincinnati, and he earned his commission through Air Force ROTC. Colonel Joseph Roth, welcome to National Security This Week. Hey, uh, good morning, John. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, really excited to be here and talk about this awesome new organization uh, that we stood up called the Space Force. And I understand you are on uh, travel right now in Seattle. Can you talk about what you're doing, or is it super secret? <laughs> nope, uh, not secret at all. Actually, just the opposite. So uh, here in Seattle, we were just down in the, the Bay Area, so San Francisco, Silicon Valley, uh, up by Livermore. Um, and we are trying to meet with uh, uh, one of the things that makes uh, uh, our military great is our industrial partners. Ah. So working with companies out in the industry. Uh, so I'm here in S- Seattle. Uh, this is also one of the hubs of uh, innovation and space systems and aerospace, and we're here to uh, uh, work with uh, smaller, uh, uh, non-traditional companies. And we have an initiative I think we'll talk about a little bit later on called the Space Systems Command Front Door. Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to ask about the, all, all the partners, the commercial partners. Uh, so, Colonel Roth, I, I, I've been sitting here looking over your official biography, and I have to say I, I, am, I am very impressed. Uh, education was, uh, was clearly a core component of your entire career in the U.S. Air Force, and now you've transitioned over to the Space Force. You've held a, a, a number of uh, significant uh, positions in the space or space-related fields, as well as key positions in policy and strategy for national security-related issues throughout your career. Uh, were, were all of these assignments that you've had and your education, were they components of your own career planning? Or did the U.S. Air Force kind of guide you <laughs> toward these career opportunities and these education assignments leading up to this transition you made into the Space Force? Well, well John, I don't think uh, most people try and plan their careers, uh, but typically uh, you get opportunities uh, thrown at you uh, that you cannot turn down. And uh, uh, my career is would not be your traditional Air Force officer uh, uh, career path. 
So I've been all over, uh, served in the Pentagon, uh, served a year in Afghanistan, uh, been uh, uh, supporting from policy, uh, working with the White House and uh, Office of Secretary of Defense, uh, from uh, working in the missile fields uh, in uh, Wyoming. And um, I don't think you could have uh, written a story or a career plan that hit all the cool things that I got to do so far in, in uh, the air and now the Space Force. Uh, one of the uh, most impressive things uh, uh, throughout that career was being a recruiting squadron commander hmm. uh, down in uh, Florida. So uh, what we were doing there was uh, just amazing to see my enlisted airmen were uh, uh, changing lives and uh, giving people opportunity uh, in the Air Force and uh, really helps reblue you, uh, connects you with the public and uh, really uh, helps understand why we're doing uh, this is to protect this great nation. So can you plan a career? You obviously can try to. Uh, but you'll get so many cool opportunities along the way that uh, uh, by the end of your career, you will not uh, have uh, uh, you will not have recognized it. Uh, but it helps you develop and grow as a leader. I I, I, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about when you talk about kind of non non traditional career paths <laughs> that certainly describe my uh, my time in the in the Navy. I do want to very quickly uh, ask this uh, directed energy director at Urid in. Uh, what what can you tell us about that assignment, uh, the, the last assignment you had before you, you took over this one in the acquisition delta at Space Force? Uh, anything so, you want to talk about for directed energy? I know that's sort of a big uh, R&D effort in DOD. Yeah, and it's and it's actually been a, an R&D effort for quite a few decades is trying to turn directed energy, which is lasers um, or high-powered microwaves, uh, and turn those in, into systems that uh, protect our troops uh, in the field. I know the big initiative right now is to have uh, systems that could uh, shoot down uh, aerial drones and other systems that may try to swarm our bases overseas. And so we have research going on in the Air Force Research Lab uh, to help us develop those technologies. So many of those technologies are really actually starting to come together and um, really uh, making progress in areas where we can actually field those systems. Uh, the one area that I worked in was the space uh, uh, division uh, within directed energy. And what we do is we use lasers to uh, calculate the turbulence in the air. Mm. So we can use our large observatories uh, for satellite, uh, to look at satellites on the ground in a mission area called Space Domain Awareness. Um, so we take uh, any of the uh, turbulence in the air, uh, correct for it, and then we can get really nice, exquisite images of satellites uh, that are orbiting the Earth. Um, and it's a pretty powerful capability developed in secret within Air Force Research Lab through the 80s and early 90s. And then uh, uh, was a technology we delivered. Uh, we made it public so that the astronomy could use it. And uh, now telescopes, uh, very large telescopes all across the world uh, are uh, taking advantage of this adaptive optics technology mm. uh, developed in your Air Force Research Lab to find uh, other planets, uh, to find asteroids or potential uh, 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 objects or meteors that may crash into the Earth. So. Uh, very interesting. So I think that's a key part of uh, what we do is uh, many of our systems have dual applications and can support uh, 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 academia or, or industry um, or other avenues. And uh, really good to see that we have a success story there. All right. Uh, if we could, uh, Colonel Roth, I'd like to discuss the creation of U.S. Space Force a few years ago and how leaders like you made that transition uh, to serving in the Space Force. Uh, can you explain to us how that transition happened? How did a career U.S. Air Force officer make the official transition to becoming an officer in the U.S. Space Force? Well, and, and John, uh, having served in uh, the Air Force for 24 years uh, and now just one year in the Space Force, um, you could have not predicted this. Um, it was kind of... Uh, <laughs> You, you knew it was going to happen at some point in the future as we pushed out and gained more capabilities in space. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't realize it would happen within my uh, uh, time uh, or my career. Uh, but the reason we have the Space Force, uh, and it stood up in uh, uh, December 20th, uh, uh, 2019, we started it. It was the first major 
Uh, it's the first service uh, created since uh, 1947 when we created the Air Force, and really important that we stood it up. And the whole reason we have the Space Force uh, is not because it was a good organizational idea or um, uh, it was good uh, political idea. It's because of the threat. So yeah. the reason we have a Space Force is that emerging threat. And, uh, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit uh, later on about that threat. Uh, but uh, the reason we have it and it has strong bipartisan support to stand up the Space Force uh, was because of uh, uh, the actions of a few potential adversaries that are growing by leaps and bounds and um, definitely trying to take advantage or take away our advantage militarily and economically that space provides. But for me personally, the Space Force um, um, was commissioned in the Space Force. So I actually had to resign my uh, commission after 24 years of service in the Air Force and uh, accept a new commission in the Space Force. So all of our guardians have done that process, whether they were Air Force, um, whether they're uh, soldiers or sailors who elected to come over and transfer to the Space Force. Uh, we all um, retook the oath and uh, uh, we are now serving in the Space Force. So. Uh, really exciting time, and it's not every day you get to build a, a brand new service, a digital service uh, from scratch, and really try and do things differently. It's a good thing they didn't do a bait and switch on you, get you to sign out of being an <laughs> officer in the Air Force and then <laughs> not let you sign then, back up to take the oath for the Space <laughs> Force. Uh, Colonel, we've heard in the news that personnel from other branches, and you just talked about that, have also transitioned to become guardians in the Space Force. And we've also just recently, as I understand it, had the first graduates from Space Force Boot Camp complete their training. Uh, could you tell us how the personnel transitions are coming? I mean, you're growing as a service. Uh, how does all that work? How does somebody, you know, join the Space Force, go through Air Force uh, or Space Force Boot Camp? And what is the sort of the target number you think uh, Space Force needs to get to before it's fully manned? Yeah, so we're uh, really exciting times. Uh, uh, back in June, we graduated our first uh, class of dedicated uh, basic military training boot camp uh, down at Lackland uh, Air Force Base. And it was our first uh, Space Force uh, boot camp where we graduated 71 recent graduates and uh, they will join the other 800 guardians that know nothing else but the Space Force. Hmm. Um, if you're interested uh, in learning a little bit about the, the opportunities and career areas that the Space Force provides, um, Go out to uh, spaceforce.com, really simple, spaceforce.com, and you can see some of the amazing opportunities. Uh, but all the services, what's really cool about uh, our mission, it's a really a joint mission, and we support uh, all different uh, services, so the Army, the Navy, the U.S. Marine Corps, the Coast Guard, and we also support civil uh, applications. So a soldier or a sailor that may have experience or uh, background uh, that the Space Force needs can apply. And they do this on a yearly basis. They can apply for a transfer and uh, come into the Space Force. We've also uh, restructured and moved some of the units uh, that fell under the Army and the Navy. Um, and they are just starting now to arrive uh, under uh, uh, U.S. Space Command mm -hmm. and the Space Force uh, to uh, uh, augment our forces there. So our force structure is changing a little bit. Uh, but we are a really small service right now. So we have uh, about 7,500 guardians. And with our uh, Space Force civilians, we grow to about 16,000 guardians total. Uh, the next closest service is uh, the United States Marine Corps at about 182,000. Uh, so we're the smallest force. Uh, but we also have uh, some of the greatest capabilities and the best technology uh, to support uh, and defend the nation. So really cool opportunities here and um uh really uh you have opportunities to transfer but right now i'd say it is really competitive and so uh there are a lot of people uh, that would love to join the space force and if you have the grades and the skills and uh, the determination and drive um, you can do that um, the space force has a new um we had the air force core values uh, but we have the uh, uh, Space Force, uh, it's called the Guardian, uh, the Guardian Ideal, where we have fourth 
uh, four items uh, that we focus on on our core values. And we look for people uh, with these values. So we have uh, courage, uh, commitment, character, and connection. So courage, commitment, character, and connection. And those are those ideals of the people we're trying to bring into the Space Force. What kind of skill sets uh, are you looking at uh, to try and bring people onto the space? I mean, rocket science obviously would be a good one, but uh, what, what other specific skills do you need uh, to, to bring people into the Space Force? Well, we look all across the board. So we have uh, positions uh, um, in your traditional STEM uh, career areas, so engineering, science, uh, mathematics, uh, those high-tech areas uh, for our acquisition core. Uh, we also have uh, Intel, we have uh, communications, uh, radio operators, uh, we have um, cybersecurity specialists. Um, so we wanted to concentrate, I know General Raymond, when we stood up the Space Force, was focusing on those core capabilities that are uh, in, from, you know, from our personnel that directly contribute to that mission. All of your base support functions are still remain Air Force. Okay. So your your medical, your uh, uh, supplies, security forces, etc. Uh, we still, like the Marine Corps does, leverage a lot of the like the Marine Corps leverages Navy uh, support structures. Um, the Space Force leverages the Air Force support structures. Yeah, that makes good sense. That makes good sense. Uh, for our, our audience, uh, this is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Colonel Joseph Roth of the U.S. Space Force, and we're discussing U.S. Space Force's Space Systems Command. Uh, so, Colonel Joseph Roth, we, we covered some of the basics. We understand how personnel uh, are becoming part of the Space Force, becoming guardians. Uh, if we could, let's talk about how the Space Force is organized. I, I, I think because it's the newest service, uh, most people have no idea how the Space Force is, is organized to, to do the missions needed to protect American national security. Uh, can you paint us a picture of the Space Force? Where's it headquartered? What are the main units that fall under that headquarters? Uh, I think our listeners would, would kind of like to understand from a line and block uh, chart perspective sort of what Space Force looks like. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the Space Force is just like uh, the other services is our chief of space operations. Right now it's uh, General uh, Raymond is uh, uh, our leader. We still fall under the uh, Department of the Air Force. So the Secretary of the Air Force is still uh, our secretary. Uh, but uh, General Raymond is part of the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is a full-fledged member uh, sitting there with the other services. Um, that is headquartered in the Pentagon, just like all the other uh, services uh, uh, in the Department of Defense. Uh, the Space Force is structured in a way where we have three field commands. These are like the major commands within the Air Force. So we have uh, Space Operations Command, uh, also known as SPOC. We have uh, uh, Space Training and Readiness Command, also known as STARCOM. And then my organization, we have Space Systems Command. So think the Acquisition Command that uh, builds, develops, acquires, and sustains uh, capabilities in the field that's done by Space Systems Command. Uh, right now, Space Operations Command is headquartered out in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado. Uh, we also have uh, Starcom, which is uh, just uh, starting up. Uh, it's going through a basing action, but it's temporarily based out of Colorado Springs, Colorado as well. Uh, we have Space Systems Command, which is headquartered out at uh, LA Air Force Base. Um, I know they're going through the renaming process and uh, that will likely become a Space Force Base here in the near future, uh, but that's in uh, Los Angeles, uh, uh, California. Um, we also have uh, uh, a presence. Uh, if you go down, those are our major field commands, okay. but if you go down uh, levels lower, we're spread out all across the world. So. Uh, I know uh, my organization, the Innovation and Prototyping Delta, we're headquartered at Kirtland Air Force Base, New Mexico. Uh, but I have folks uh, in Los Angeles um, working on developing uh, next generation satellite capabilities. Uh, we have folks in New Mexico. We have folks in Houston uh, embedded with NASA. So we have a detachment down there uh, helping get experiments on the International Space Station. And then we have uh, we're supporting a lot of organizations in the Colorado area. Um, so by and large, the Space Force is spread out 
in a lot of different locations uh, from uh, California to Florida. Uh, we have launch bases and uh, we're structured in a very similar way to the way the Air Force is. Um, just uh, um, uh, we have field commands instead of major commands. Um, and our wiring diagram um, shows, uh, you know, we've, we've got a leaner and more agile uh, system uh, that we, since we're designing a service from scratch, uh, leaner, more agile system uh, that'll be flexible. One important uh, thing, uh, John, for your uh, listeners to note is the how we fall under uh, the uh, supporting the joint warfighter. Mm. Um, so all of our capabilities are fielded just like any of the other services. We have the organized train and equip mission, uh, but uh, they support a combatant command. So whether that's a regional uh, combatant commander, um, such as Indo-PACOM or European command, um, most of our forces support United States uh, Space Command, uh, which is also headquartered in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado right now. Um, and they are working on uh, uh, plans, you know, uh, Congress and uh, the, the administration and the department are trying to um, work out the details. It's supposed to move to Huntsville, Alabama, uh, but it's going through the processes uh, for that um warfighting component of uh, our uh, joint force. So Space Command is sort of the equivalent of one of the theater combatant commanders like Indo-PACOM, Central Command, UCOM, that kind of thing. Actually, uh, actually not not true. So Space or U.S. Space Command. Right, right. You got to be careful here. Yeah. Yes, you're exactly (laughs) right, John. They stood up U.S. Space Command and it exactly it's a functional uh, uh, combatant command. Uh, but it's exactly like all those other uh, commands. Uh, whereas the Space Force, we're a uh, uh, they'll organize and train and equip uh, function supporting that command. So maybe I should make myself a little more clear. It's it's sort of like U.S. Cyber Command as a functional uh, commander. Uh, space, U.S. Space Command is. Yes, that's exactly right. Because okay. um, it does doesn't matter which uh, area of responsibility you're right. in. Global. You know, we support all the combatant <laughs> commands geographic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, all of them use space. All of them need to be protected on the cyber domain as well. So, yes, sir. Okay, so Colonel Roth, you are assigned to Space Systems Command. Uh, what what exactly is Space Systems Command? Uh, you, you talked a little <coughs> bit about where some of the locations are, but what does the command do on sort of a day-to-day basis? Uh, maybe you could sort of paint us another detailed picture of Space Systems Command specifically. It sounds to me like that's where the rubber meets the road with the Title Ten functions that the services have, that man, train, and equip function. Does that fall mostly uh, on the acquisition side anyway under uh, Space Systems Command? Because the training command is sort of the trains the, the people uh, to serve in Space Force. Do I have that kind of right? Yes, that, absolutely. We, we provide a function, uh, the acquisition and development and sustainment of uh, space capabilities, uh, whether they're uh, satellites on orbit, uh, launch vehicles or rockets, uh, or um, command and control systems, uh, battle management systems, um, or something as simple as your users probably use on a regular, or as your uh, listeners use on a regular basis, uh, GPS. Mm. So we buy and and develop and build um uh, satellite systems to provide capabilities, and then we sustain those capabilities. Um, some of our mission areas uh, are uh, global positioning systems, so helping you navigate uh, in uh, whether you use different navigation software on your phone. Uh, that is all uh, done and supported by Space Systems Command, and then our operations uh, teams within uh, Space Ops Command uh, to provide that capability free of charge not just to the U.S., but uh, uh, people around the world. Uh, we also have uh, comm systems, so we develop uh, communication satellites uh, and relays, uh, ground infrastructure with antennas to communicate uh, with satellites and uh, beam information and data uh, around the world. Uh, we also have uh, uh, a very big system uh, for missile warning and uh, uh and, and tracking, so both uh, ground-based radars and uh, uh, space assets for uh, uh, OPIR uh, system. We just launched a Sibir uh, satellite, uh, the last of a generation of satellites uh, that use infrared to detect uh, missile launches 
uh, from our adversaries and, and protect our troops in theater. So really important capabilities. They've been the bedrock of the command. Um, as I said earlier, it's located in Los Angeles, uh, but Space Systems Command has 16 different locations across the country uh, where we're supporting uh, both our operations, uh, our, our operators, and uh, our teams uh, uh, downrange, our warfighters and users. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you actually you brought up that uh, the SBIRS, uh, was it the GO6 uh, bird that was just launched like a week ago or something like that? Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, uh, the last of, of a generation of uh, exquisite capabilities that uh, really help us. And a lot of these systems were developed uh, back in, uh, 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 based on lessons through the, the Gulf War in 1991. And remember the, the Scud missile launches and trying to detect where they're launching from and how to protect, uh, you know, the civilian population um, and our troops in theater. And a lot of those lessons uh, fed into the acquisition environment, and we developed capabilities to uh, counter, uh, uh, counter or at least observe and give us warning on when those uh, happen. Yeah, that, that, the, old, the old system that's not of operational anymore was the Defense Support Program or the DSP satellites, which would uh, catch that, uh, I, I guess was the, the heat signature of a, like a, a Scud missile launching uh, but the time to get that information to the warfighter was really kind of slow, uh, although the Patriot missile batteries did do a, a, an okay job back then uh, being able to intercept some of those incoming Scud missiles into Israel and other places. But uh, SBIR's uh, space-based infrared system was the replacement for that. I, as I understand it, there were six total, and the fifth and sixth ones actually replaced uh, the first and second ones that kind of came off orbit. Is that right? The um, on, on the exact uh, specifications of those, um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to defer. That's not my area okay, of expertise. No worries. <laughs> but the Sibbers constellation, uh, we designed those satellites to last. And remember how you you mentioned that uh, it takes a while. Uh, uh, back in the day, it took a while uh, during the Gulf War. Uh, we really perfected that technology, and our our, our troops in theater. And our civilian authorities uh, warning uh, has really dramatically improved. Um, and it's it's one of the cornerstones uh, of our capabilities is to provide that in theater uh, missile warning and protection for our, our troops. Uh, you can see that as an example in the past. Uh, so uh, when there were uh, recently with uh, Iranian launches of uh, yeah. uh, ballistic missiles into uh, or uh, into uh some of the areas where our troops were stationed in Iraq. Um, so it's uh, definitely uh, provides uh, uh, awesome capability. Uh, but I, I'll have to get back to you on the exact number of uh, satellites we have and uh, how they're dispositioned across the theater. Um, and um, But uh, you know, just know we have a full constellation of those systems up there, and they're working great. So I, I, I'm I'm sort of cheating because I've I've downloaded a whole bunch you of the uh, fact sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, a whole bunch of information from uh, from the web, which I assume is pretty accurate because a lot of it comes from sort of the defense related uh, uh, news sources. But uh, I have to think that you are working on what's called the next generation overhead persistent infrared system or next gen OPIR. Uh, I guess yes. the first launch is slated for 2025 for the first of those satellites that'll replace yes. SBIRS. Uh, yes, and it'll replace Sibbers, uh, 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 and we have, uh, and we're going to a more uh, disaggregated architecture. So we'll have uh, satellite systems in uh, middle uh, uh, Earth orbit, and as well as uh, ge geosynchronous uh, Earth orbit as well. Uh, so one of the big things that S Space Systems Command is doing now is pivoting our architecture from a model where uh, there were not. Uh, you know, since the Cold War, there were not many threats at all on orbit. And now there are a lot of threats and uh, our advers potential adversaries in China and Russia are getting bold and aggressive. And so we're developing systems now to uh, uh, make sure we protect uh, and increase the resiliency of our systems, uh, both from disaggregation, where we'll have multiple satellites um, instead of, uh, you know, exquisite, you know, single mission satellites will disaggregate the constellation and the architecture, uh, spread it out. Uh, we're looking at ways to do hybrid architectures uh, where we have 
uh, commercial assets interleaved within our, uh, military assets and spread them out and uh, definitely uh, reduce uh, our vulnerabilities with our systems on orbit. And that's really what Space uh, Command was set up to do is pivot uh, to the threat and uh, make sure we have we still have the best systems in the world on space uh, supporting the nation. And um, we're we're doing that uh, right now. So. And I do want to ask you a little bit more about the threats that are up there. Uh, but before we move on, uh, there was a, a General Hyten, former uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, he, he has been very supportive of uh, the creation of Space Force and, and all the things that uh, Space Force is trying to do. But he said that you're still sort of struggling to cut through some of the bureaucracy on the acquisition side of things. And obviously space is a, is a place where we, we really can't have delays because we have to have, uh, we have to hold that high ground up in space to make sure that American national security interests are protected. Uh, are, are you seeing that in the time that you've been in the Space Systems Command, sort of a, uh, a streamlining of the acquisition process? Is it getting better just in the time that you've been there? Yeah, you, you still have the structures and the bureaucracy that was set up in place um, and uh, uh, the progress, uh, it is, you know, a, a complicated environment to operate. But the reason we have it is we got to comply with the law yeah. uh, that's been established, uh, implement that law into our rules and regulations and instructions. Um, so bureaucracy was created to help facilitate uh, uh, the, you know, how to acquire systems. Uh, the thing that we're trying to do now, especially within the Space Force, and I know my boss, uh, General Gutlein, uh, who I'm traveling with uh, uh, this week uh, here in Seattle, uh, really trying to pivot it from a, uh, a model uh, where we, the government, develops and acquires all these systems to one where uh, we can, if we can buy uh, before we build, uh, mm-hmm. we would love to partner with uh, industry and buy systems uh, and and not have to build our own government systems unless it has a really military unique application uh, or something that's not available in the commercial market. So there's a almost like a second space renaissance going on uh, within uh, the venture capital community and commercial space. And we are definitely in the space force and space systems, man, trying to leverage uh, their investments uh, and their innovation, they're doing some eye-watering innovation out there, uh, our industrial base with a lot of these startups and uh, non-traditional space companies are developing uh, capabilities. And you see, uh, so with a lot of these mega constellations, uh, we have SpaceX uh, launching a lot, uh, uh, OneWeb on a path to do it, and Amazon. There are going to be a lot of satellites on orbit, and it's important for us to develop systems that work with them and, and interoperate or uh, operate together. And uh, we're going to have to change the way we do acquisition to go faster uh, to keep up with that threat. Yep. And, and so uh, a couple of things we've talked about on the show in the past was the fact that there is so much up in space right now uh, and just extraordinary number of you know pieces of debris <laughs> that are floating around up in space that all of these functioning satellites and manned space travel platforms need to safely get through. Uh, so we do have all that tracking capability for all the objects that are zipping around in space at 17,000 miles an hour. Uh, but it's it's going to become an even more crowded environment for the spacefaring nations to have platforms uh, on orbit in space. Uh, so you guys got, just got your work cut out for you. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, threats. Uh, we've heard a lot from the Space Force leadership, just heard a few minutes from you about the threats in space from some of the other countries that are out there. Uh, would you like to elaborate a little bit more on, on some of the challenges that America and our allies uh, face uh, in space right now? Yeah, absolutely, John. The, uh, the, our adversaries are getting uh, bold and aggressive. They want to take away our economic and our military advantages space provides. And uh, it's been uh, over the past couple of years, we've worked really hard to declassify a lot of information, uh, stuff that's been at the top secret and higher levels uh, for a long time is now unclassified and being uh, presented to uh, the American public and uh, our allies and partners uh, to make sure they they're aware of the threat. So we, we face threats from directed energy weapons. So we talked about uh, lasers earlier, uh, kinetic uh, kill weapons, 
uh, that are either launched from the ground or come after our satellites on orbit, uh, electronic warfare where we're, we're jammed, or at uh, systems that were developed uh, by China and Russia to knock out uh, our spacecraft electronics uh, or our ground systems. Um, this includes uh, orbital and cyber attacks. And then even on the spectrum, there's a nice chart that goes through uh, different levels that are reversible, et cetera. Um, even protecting our systems from high altitude uh, nuclear uh, detonations, mm-hmm. so uh, new debts, um, which um, could uh, 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 have a significant impact on those large constellations on orbit. But let me uh, walk through some of these. Uh, I mean, a lot of this is straight out of science fiction, uh, <laughs> turned into reality. But we have uh, Chinese satellites with robotic arms um, that uh, and that that could be used uh, to grapple other satellites and uh, take them out of commission. Um, uh, you know, China has uh, multiple systems, uh, directed energy systems at varying power power levels to blind or damage our satellites. And then Russia uh, just did a, a, a recent test uh, of a, a system uh, they have uh, to kinetically kill uh, satellites in low Earth orbit. And it created a lot of debris. It caused uh, our astronauts uh, and their astronauts to uh, uh, go to their escape capsules on the International Space Station. Um, so, so, so some really uh, 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 re- really imp- there are important things in development that the American people should be aware of uh, that are going on in space and we really need to uh, uh, protect our systems make them less vulnerable and also ensure that we can deter any future conflict in space that's really our whole goal you could you know you talked about debris and and um, you, we do not want to have a war in space it will likely not be a war just in space. Uh, it'll be in all domains. Uh, but we do not want to pollute uh, space uh, for generations and uh, tens of thousands of years by having a lot of debris uh, on orbit. And so we, we want to deter uh, any potential aggression. And then if we actually have aggression, we want to swiftly uh, stop it. So that's what the Space Force has been designed to do. And uh, really important to protect those billions of dollars of capability that are on orbit. Uh, so, Colonel Joe Roth, I introduced you at the beginning as the director of the Acquisition Delta for Innovation and Prototyping. Uh, if you look at an organizational chart for Space Force's uh, subordinate commands, you'll see that title over and over again, Delta. What is a delta in the context of the U.S. Space Force? That's a term that I don't think any of us who, you know, retired a decade ago can really <laughs> sort of figure out. So can you explain it to us? What's, it, what's a sort of an equivalent uh, structure in other services in, in the military to a delta? <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's kind of cool. So as we <laughs> stood up the new service, uh, we created our own way to organize. So... Uh, we identified, uh, you know, we could no longer be airmen uh, of the uh, Air Force. Uh, so we created a new term called guardians. Uh, we also structured, uh, we also created a new structure uh, to, to take advantage of, of uh, the capabilities of our service. And that is called a delta. So a delta is essentially, if you know, the old uh, uh, Air Force structure where you have squadrons, groups and wings. Uh, we essentially took out a layer of management. So we removed the group commanders mm. and flattened the organizations and created kind of a hybrid organization uh, uh, called a Delta. Uh, so this is a uh, not quite as big as a wing, but not small as small as a group. And that is the new structure we chose uh, in the Space Force. So it'll go uh, straight from squadrons. We still have squadrons in the Space Force. Um, or uh, we also have uh, uh, branches so that are material leaders, acquirers, a squadron commander equivalent, uh, but they go straight up uh, to a Delta commander uh, or Delta director. And um, um, that's the, the main uh, organization of uh, uh, the Space Force. And we still, uh, the, where the rubber meets, meets the roads is those squadrons. Uh, so just like in other services, you have... Uh, brigades, battalions, um, uh, you have companies. Uh, that's how the Space Force chose to organize. And deltas are uh, one of the big 
Uh, all the deltas are led by a uh, colonel uh, or a civilian equivalent in the acquisition community uh, of a colonel. So uh, definitely uh, uh, kind of cool. And for me personally, sw- doing the switch, I went from uh, about three direct reports, uh, uh, folks I supervise on a regular basis, to 11. And we are much flatter uh, and leaner, and we can make decisions a lot faster. So that that organizational structure um, is paying off uh, already. So it's pushed it's pushed authority down to a lower level to allow faster decision making uh, in the space force uh, compared That's to the exactly other services. Right. Okay. I like that. I like that. And that's both operational on the operational side, but also uh, empowering uh, on the acquisition side where we're making big acquisition decisions and running programs. That authority has been pushed down to a lower level. And you actually see this, John, at at, uh, a great structure we went to um, when we uh, reorganized a few years years ago uh, for our PEOs. So these are our program executive officers. So think uh, uh, very senior leaders, uh, um, generals or civilian equivalent uh, type uh, generals. We used to have one that was responsible for all space systems, and we've uh, pushed that authority down. Um, So we have uh, five uh, of those uh, uh, generals or civilian equivalents, and we even have a colonel uh, that is a PEO uh, running their portfolios. And that Pushing that acquisition decision making down to that lower level and empowering them um, is paying off uh, in a big way. Uh, so, Colonel Roth, we, we just have about uh, about eighteen minutes left. Uh, I, I will remind for our audience: this is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Colonel Joseph Roth from the U.S. Space Force, and we're discussing uh, U.S. Space Force's Space Systems Command. Uh, Let's talk about Space Systems Command, uh, how you support the broad mission of protecting American national security interests. Uh, Functionally, what is it that Space Command does each day to protect America? Can you give it to us in a kind of a nutshell? Yeah, so we we do uh, across every day, 24-7, we have operators uh, in our op centers um, across the world um, supporting our space systems. Uh, embedded with our allies and partners, embedded with the Army and the Navy, uh, supporting uh, the joint warfighter um, day in and day out. Um, so space uh, uh, commands uh, uh, in the Space Force support uh, our uh, joint warfighters. Uh, we also have a huge effort uh, when you have a service is to organize, train, and equip that service, service. Uh, so we're also doing the basic training we talked about earlier uh, in uh, higher level training on the job training for our qualifications uh, for that entire service to be effective. We are also uh, working on the acquisition side uh, across the board to develop capabilities uh, that will be important. Uh, uh, next generation systems that will help protect us from our adversaries. So day in, day out, we have a even though we're a relatively small force within the Space Force. Um, our folks are uh, uh, embedded, helping out um, command centers, uh, providing space capabilities uh, around the planet. And then uh, uh, you can even see our Air Force Research Lab is uh, pushing out along with many of the other uh, space organizations such as NASA uh, to get us back to the moon and mm-hmm. cis lunar space. So you can see this trend of uh, uh, protecting and providing systems around the world, but we are we are also pushing out uh, um, and supporting uh, NASA and the Artemis program uh, to return to the moon, provide space domain awareness, uh, comm capabilities, uh, PNT, so that GPS and space capabilities for our satellites uh, will be a really important one uh, in the future. And it's it's pretty neat. So um, basically, we defend uh, uh, provide a lot of assets. Uh, to protect and and defend the United States um, and our allies and partners. So I will ask this uh, because I'm a retired intelligence officer. Uh, 
And while I was on active duty, we we declassified the fact that the National Reconnaissance Office exists. <laughs> it was a top secret uh, compartmented uh, existence, and then all of a sudden it was unclassified uh, like the next day. Very strange. Uh, but I have to think that as a DOD entity, uh, the National Reconnaissance uh, Office, that you guys probably work fairly closely with them on the bus, which is the satellite that goes up in space, and then you attach a bunch of stuff onto that bus to do a particular mission. Is, is that your command, Space Systems Command, that you're assigned to? Are you working with NRO on those kinds of platforms? I, I've read a bunch of different things where Space Force and NRO are trying to figure out what the relationship is going to be. Uh, are, are you getting any clarity on that yet? Yeah, well, we, we partner with uh, uh, the National Reconnaissance Office. Uh, so Space Systems Command in particular, uh, we try and partner with it. I had the great opportunity of serving at the National Reconnaissance Office uh, when I was a captain and a major. Um, so I have direct firsthand knowledge of the capabilities that that organization provides, and they are uh, amazing. And we've got uh, a great organization. Um, um, now, the roles and missions are really where we come down to uh, the differences. Uh, the NRO supports both the Department of Defense but they also provide capabilities for the Intel community. So the difference between Title 10 and Title 50, um, whereas the Space Force is so, uh, fully, uh, solely focused on the joint warfighter and uh, providing capabilities to support them. Um, and so a little two different missions, but two very big actors in the national security space community. But there's many more um, that uh, uh, are active in space and uh, we have set up organizational structures uh, to communicate with uh, 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 all those organizations to make sure we're developing systems um, and kind of dividing and conquering systems um, so that not every not there's so that we eliminate duplication, uh, but we also have uh, the ability to get some great synergies mm. uh, with those mission partners. And, you know, that's at the basic level but with science and technology and R&D. Uh, but all the way up to fielding operational systems, uh, it works really well. And really, the stand-up of the Space Force has made that coordination uh, with all those other organizations uh, that much easier and uh, better. And I do want to ask you about that. Uh, we have about 13 minutes left, so uh, we have to be thoughtful on time because there's a bunch of questions I still want to ask you. <laughs> Can oh, you talk yeah. a little bit more about this concept of allied by design when it comes to how the U.S. Space Force partners with our allied nations? What, uh, John, throughout history, we've never gone to war, just the, the United States. It's always been with our allies um, or our, our partners. And so uh, we don't, uh, we will expect the same thing will happen in space. We want to have uh, our uh, allies there uh, side by side, uh, defending, uh, making sure that space remains a peaceful domain. Um, but um, uh, the, the problem so large is we need to rely on our allies and our partners uh, uh, to protect our systems on orbit. I'll give you a few examples of what Space Systems Command is doing <clears throat> in those regards. Uh, but uh, one of our biggest uh, examples is uh, we are hosting space domain awareness hmm. um, uh, capabilities on the Chinese or the the Japanese version of the GPS satellite. So they call it uh, uh, QZSS. And we are hosting a payload. Uh, they've, uh, the Japanese government has allowed us to uh, put a payload on it to basically uh, keep eyes on the geo belt, uh, which is really important uh, uh, area uh, that we want to monitor. And uh, we're working with Japan uh, and to provide that capability. And um, it'll be really important uh, going through. And you, you mentioned that space domain awareness capability. Um, that's all around the world, if we get our allies and partners providing information into a common database uh, so we understand the threats and we can see them coming at us, um, that'll be really important. So definitely uh, opportunities for allies and partners. Back to you, John. Yeah, so partnering up with them and, and being tracking all that stuff that's up in space, being able to project that out through orbital mechanics and, and mathematics, you know exactly where all those pieces are going to be years in advance uh, from a maneuver standpoint. You you mentioned the term geo-belt. Can you clarify very quickly for our listeners what, what you meant by that? Yeah, so uh, geosynchronous orbit, it's a uh, uh, really important orbit. Um, it's essentially where a satellite uh, is uh, stationed. 
it it has the same uh, uh, it'll follow the same part of the Earth as the Earth rotates, and that satellite's orbit will track with the Earth, and you basically have a satellite. It looks almost like it's hovering uh, over that location, but in reality, um, uh, due to orbital uh, mechanics, it's actually moving. The orbit is at the same turning rate as the Earth, and you can basically put a satellite that'll hover over it. If you're in LEO orbit, which is low Earth orbit, uh, your satellites are flying uh, a lot closer to the Earth, and they come over in passes. And different geographic areas will have a pass uh, on a, every hour and a half, depending on how high your orbit is. Uh, but at the geosynchronous orbit, uh, which is pretty far out there, um, it's, uh, um, it's basically hovering over that spot. Now, the, the really important thing for your listeners on geosynchronous orbit it is very crowded, right. <laughs> and there are slots uh, that you are assigned, and you park these. Usually, they're comm satellites or missile warning satellites, um, something that needs a big view of the Earth, and uh, you park them out there. So, if uh, in the Navy terms, since you came from the Navy, uh, those choke points, the Straits of Malacca, those things, the Geo Belt is definitely an area where uh, we have a lot of satellites. Um, uh, both the United States, uh, but a lot of countries have satellites. And it's an area we want to monitor, um, just like we would want to monitor monitor the sea lanes on Earth. And, and as I understand it, most of those uh, in the geo belt, that's kind of plus or minus a couple of degrees uh, above or below the equator. Is that right? That's correct. Or you could have a, uh, a higher inclination where it's actually doing a figure eight uh, ah, pattern. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it can go a little bit higher or lower. Um, in the orbit, so uh, pretty fascinating. So you also, so you're on this trip right now. You're meeting with commercial partners. Uh, how important are these commercial partners when it comes to the, the U.S. Space Force? H- how much does DoD rely on commercial contracting agencies to help create, test, evaluate, and deliver high-end space capabilities? Can you talk a little bit more about that partnership? I'm giving you an opportunity to sing the praises of all your partners for the U.S. Space Force, the commercial partners right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we couldn't do anything without our industry partners. So the satellite, the exquisite capabilities we uh, build, uh, the ground systems we deploy uh, could not be done without uh, uh, the uh, American industrial base. So having those scientists, engineers, program managers that are working hard uh, in the industry, whether they're for a large defense company uh, 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 or a small business uh, that we're trying to invest in that's developing unique software. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. So, um, and really that's what we're trying to do with our uh, Space Systems Command front door initiative. So um, is to make it easier for industry uh, to work with the uh, Space Force and Space Systems Command and kind of uh, uh, eliminate or streamline some of the bureaucracy. So, uh, uh, it's really important. Uh, they provide us uh, uh, capabilities, uh, but it's a whole a whole type of uh, government uh, approach uh, in that it's also academia uh, as well. So our commercial partners, a lot of great ideas come out of our universities. Um, they get uh, started up in companies and then uh, we work with them to develop uh, applications for military use. Uh, but there's a lot of commercial uses out there. So it's the whole system. And really, I think that's kind of the secret sauce of uh, the United States is our economic advantage and our industrial base um, to help uh, develop the systems that uh, protect us. So the first commercial partner that exists out there that figures out a way to clean up all the debris in space, those individuals that start that company are going to be billionaires very quickly, right? (laughs) It depends. uh, I know they're looking at uh, marketing models uh, uh, right now. Uh, but, you know, uh, General Raymond's quoted as space is hard. Um, <laughs> it is really hard. So um, having garbage trucks in space, you know, that a commercial industry may go after uh, is a challenging problem. But we do have a lot of people uh, going after that. And I know uh, we have an organization called SpaceWorks. Um, they just uh, have the Orbital Prime Initiative uh, where they're trying to get companies to think uh, about that problem and the greater on-orbit uh, servicing, uh, so refueling on orbit, and logistics, so providing support. So uh, really, uh, uh, it's great to see th- uh, the large investments in those areas, uh, and it'll be uh, pretty fascinating. But I think the, the, 
the big billions. I, I noticed you had uh, Peter Garretson on your show yep. Yep. Uh, a few months <laughs> back, but uh, um, asteroid mining, right. you know, he probably talked about and the resources in space and, you know, the first country to go after those resources usually uh, sets the rules and, and the requirements. And, uh, you know, there is a, a race back to the moon. And there's water on the moon that uh, could provide companies, if you fig- figure out a way, provide rocket fuel um, uh, for future development in space. So definitely it's uh, uh, almost like a race again. Yep. Yeah, if we're going to travel back and forth to the moon or to Mars or anything else, we're going to need all those logistics uh, hubs. Uh, Colonel Roth, we're closing in on the end. We've just had, got about f- less than five minutes left. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor. What else would you like to say about the Guardians who serve at Space Systems Command or more broadly in uh, the U.S. Space Force? Well, uh, John, I think the Guardians are amazing. I've been in uh, the service uh, for 25 years. A year of that is in the Space Force. Uh, We just have an amazing team. And that team is both uh, military members and our civilians. Um, and we get a lot of strong uh, support from the American public. So I know when I travel, I'm often the very first guardian uh, that somebody sees. I know at uh, you know a rental car agency or at a restaurant, um, they will uh, uh, they've never met a guardian before. So it's really uh, you 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 have an amazing team uh, doing great things and uh, really trying to advance. Um, our uh, uh, national security space uh, agenda and protect the nation. And it's, it's pretty uh, great to see. And the, I think we have opportunities in the future to shape the force and uh, grow it uh, the way we want it uh, and develop people in a different manner. Um, our, our guardians will be different than a Marine because uh, their mission is different. And the things we value as a service uh, will be a little different, and uh, we we're we're at a point where we're small enough that we can make changes pretty quickly and go after new uh, concepts and capabilities. I know we're exploring right now even something as simple as your uh, uh, physical training tests, so your PT tests. Um, we're actually exploring using uh, rings, so these rings that monitor your health and 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 take it to a new level. Is we not you know measure your health all year long uh, to make sure you're, you're being healthy and healthy habits and not using a specific test uh, to test you out. So we'll still do PT. We'll still have the tests, uh, but it's a whole concept for the guardian. So pretty, pretty, pretty uh, uh, amazing to see. And we've got that flexibility. So uh, America can rest assured we got the right people in place um, uh, protecting the nation. Sounds to me like you guys have a, a really strong entrepreneurial spirit, so don't lose that. <laughs> That's one of the well, biggest it, problems with the major services in DOD is there's uh, this, this incredible bureaucracy that slows down our ability to really respond to the warfighters' needs, and it sounds like you guys are doing everything you can to avoid that bureaucracy. Uh, unfortunately, well, John, we're, com- if, if yeah, we're not careful, go, yeah. if, if we're not careful uh, we will get out-innovated by China. That's right. So we need to streamline that bureaucracy, invest in those technologies and those capabilities, um, and uh, otherwise uh, we will have a very different situation here uh, not too long from now. And that, that's why we were created, and I hopefully the culture of the Space Force doesn't change and we keep that entrepreneurial or innovative spirit. Uh, what what uh, what kind of resources would you like to recommend to our listeners uh, to tap into to learn more about the Space Force? I would say uh, there's a variety of publications uh, that are out there that you can hear uh, uh, different news about the Space Force. Um, I know my father uh, uh, does a great job. He sends me uh, some news articles uh, from a variety of publications, but uh, the ones uh, we kind of get is uh, Space News. Uh, doing searches. I know we uh, push a lot of information from Space Systems Command. Uh, the Space Force in, den- in general uh, tries to provide a lot, lot of public uh, release information. So do some searches on uh, our websites. Uh, we try and post a lot of information there. Um, I would say uh, stay tuned to uh, defense uh, publications um, that come out. Uh, some from uh, We have a new organization uh, supporting the Space Force uh, called the Space Force Association. And uh, they're uh, like the Air Force Association, but they're stood up 
to help educate folks on uh, what's going on. Uh, so yeah, definitely stay tuned. And uh, Aaron Space, a uh, uh, lot of publications out there, and uh, there's a lot of neat things going on. So, and it's hard to keep up across the range of things, uh, especially within the commercial market. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, things being done. Rockets. Uh, I know when I was stationed down at uh, uh, Patrick Air Force Base down uh, near Cape Canaveral, um, and uh, um, we we were launching about one rocket per week, and the pace was accelerating. And uh, really a huge investment in our space infrastructure, both the commercial markets and the military market. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of today's edition of National Security This Week. Colonel Joseph Roth from the U.S. Space Forces Space Systems Command, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. And thanks for doing this show. It's really important that you communicate uh, national security topics uh, with your audience and listeners. Um, and uh, really excited to be a part of the Space Force, and thanks for inviting us. And then one more thing. Yep. Thank you for your service to the country, <laughs> and you're still doing it today. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you for listening to National Security This Week. Have a great finish to your week, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.